0: It's such a, Yeah, yeah cool. it's such a blessing to be here with you all today. Um, what we're going to do is I'm going to pray and then we'll just dive into God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, for who you are. Thank you for the fact that no matter what's going on around us, no matter how crazy the weather gets, no matter how crazy um, things get in our culture, um, every time we open the Bible, you speak to us. You always have something to say because your word, the Bible, is always relevant. So this morning I ask that you would um, encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Convict us to where we need to be convicted. And most importantly, Father, would would we just fall more in love with your son Jesus? Um, I ask that anything that's not about you today would just fall flat on the floor. And everything that exalts you and who you are, uh, may that be made known today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, like Pastor Ricky said, my name is Jr. I, I was born and raised in Amarillo, Texas, but for the past couple of years, I was living in Philadelphia where I was going to seminary, where I got to meet my beautiful wife, Megan, and where we both got to do uh, pastoral residencies or ministry residencies with a, a local Acts 29 church there. That was amazing. Uh, but now we're back in Amarillo. We felt the Lord calling us to come uh, replant a church on the east side. And we're doing a Redeemer residency with uh, Redeemer Amarillo. So it's kind of like we're, we're cousins in some sense. I'm the cousin you never knew you had. So I'm so excited to be with you guys today. Um, but, you know, just thinking about our time back in Philly, um, our last couple of weeks there, uh, our pastors and, and coworkers actually threw us a, a going away party. And at this going away party, it was, it was, it was, it was awesome. We, we, we ate food. We laughed. And my wife and I actually got to share more about our, our, our calling and our, and our desire to come back to the West Texas Panhandle and, and plant a, a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church there. But, but if I'm honest, I think the most impactful part of that party, for me personally, was, was at the very end, where our pastors and, and, and uh, co-workers gathered around us, and they prayed for us. And, you know, they prayed for our marriage, they prayed for our families, and they also prayed that the Lord would be with us as we came back to do this residency and and plant a church there. You know, but but as I think about it, I I think the reason why it was so impactful for me personally um, was because those prayers, their prayers for us, specifically not only showed us how much they loved us, but also that they too believed that there was a need for... Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches to be planted in the West Texas Panhandle. Their prayers showed us that we weren't crazy for coming back to Amarillo, but in fact, that what we were doing was extremely important. And in a similar way, our passage this morning, um, this prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesians, that he actually started back in verse 1, but he got sidetracked, so now he's coming back to it. Uh, This prayer shows us not only how much he loved the Ephesian church, but also how important he thought they were. He believed that they were extremely important. But before we dive into that idea, let's just take a moment to look at what's going on in our passage today. So if you turn back to our passage and you, and you read through it carefully, it's kind of like you could hear Paul's voice as he's you know, crying out to God in prayer for the Ephesians, man. It's, it's so heart-filled and it's filled with emotion, right? And, and as you read it, and the, you see that the very part of his prayer, the, the main point of his prayer is actually seen in verse 21. If you look at it real quick, verse 21 says this, To him, which is God, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. You see, at the, at the heart of Paul's prayer, you know, at the main point of it, what we learn is not only does he love the Ephesians, not only does he have this deep love for the Ephesian church, but also that he believes one of the most important truths that the Bible reveals to us. You know, the Bible teaches us or reveals to us that the all-powerful, perfect creator God who who rules over every molecule of creation, he has chosen, since before time existed, that the local gathering of believers, that the local church, will be one of the main ways or means that his glory is shown to the world. Basically, the local church reflects God's glory. And and that's one of the reasons why Paul was so passionate as he prays for the Ephesians. It's because he understood that the Ephesian church was a local outpost that would show God's glory to that surrounding area. And I hope that truth doesn't get lost on us this morning. See, What what you guys have done by coming to church here, what, what, what you have done by planting Redeemer Borger, is that you guys have established a local outpost by which this city and this, and this county will be saturated with God's glorious gospel. With his glory. What you guys are doing right now, and what you've been doing for the past couple weeks, and what you're going to be doing in the future, all of that is of cosmic and eternal importance. It's very important. So with all that in mind, I think the main challenge of our text this morning or the big idea for the sermon is very simple. It's this. Pray for your church. Our big idea this morning is this, is pray for your church. Since uh, what we're doing here is of cosmic importance, since the local church is called to be an outpost for God's glory, our passage challenges to and gives us a model for how we should be praying for our local church, how we should be praying for Redeemer Border. And if you read through the passage carefully, you'll actually see three uh, petitions or, or prayer requests or things that you should be praying for your church. What we should be praying for our church is this. We should be praying for strength, love, and fullness. You should pray for Redeemer Borger strength, love, and fullness. And so this morning, I just want to briefly walk through those prayer requests with you as we look back at our text. So let's look, at our, let's look at the first request. The first thing we should be praying for our church, for Redeemer Borger, is for strength. And we see that in verses 14 through the first half of verse 17. So let's reread that real quick for you. This is what it says, starting at verse 14. we see that Paul bows his knees in prayer. You know, bowing your knees is not like a sign of humility, right? So he bows his knees in humble prayer to God. You know, the perfect creator God. The, the, the creator of the human race. You know, the father of the church. He bows his, his knees in prayer to the all-powerful God. And the first thing he asks for is that the Ephesian church would be strengthened in their inner being. Now, if we're going to understand what exactly he's asking for there, we actually need to focus in on that second phrase that follows it. The second phrase says, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, in the original language, this phrase typically referred to the idea of Christ not just only being present in your heart, but actually ruling over your heart. It's the idea of Christ ruling over the center of your will, your intellect, and your emotions. It's really the difference between Christ just being a guest and Him being enthroned and, and, and making Himself at home in your heart. See, what basically what Paul is praying for is that he's praying that all that amazing truth and theology that's seen in these previous chapters of the book of Ephesians, he's praying that all of that would be seen practically in the lives of the Ephesians by Christ being enthroned in their heart and ruling over it. Now he's praying that that awesome truth about God being the perfect creator God, that he is the father of the church, uh, he raises spiritually dead people back to life, he, uh, Christ overcoming all the evil forces through the cross, he's praying that all that amazing theology would have practical implications on the lives of the Ephesians. And and what I think that request really reminds us of is that all the truth and theology we learn as Christians is not just meant to stay here. It's actually meant to come here. It's, It's meant to have practical implications on our everyday life. And this will really set the tone for the rest of the book as you read. It's going to see a lot about how the gospel, how theology and truth have practical implications for your life. But man, if we think about this, it really cuts us deep. Right. Because although it's true that, that, that God is all-powerful, that the Christ deserves the throne of our hearts, it's our natural human tendency to reject Christ and to take the throne ourselves. Right. I mean, everyone's cool with Jesus until it comes to the fact that He's not supposed to be a side dish on your life. He's actually supposed to be the king on the throne. Right. In some senses, our lives are characterized by us being glory thieves. We think we deserve the throne. That's what our lives are like. And I think the best example of this is actually seen in Genesis chapter 3. What does the serpent tell Eve? You can be like God. You can have the throne. But, but the problem with all that is that as we live our lives, and we see the natural breakdown of our bodies, right? We see all the unloving ways we treat our families and our neighbors, and even when we see the, the types of immorality or the sin that we can indulge in, we're just constantly reminded that we are limited, jacked up, messed up people. Right? Although it's our natural tendency to be glory thieves, life reminds us every single day that we don't deserve the throne. Yeah, and that's the truth. But look at the encouragement in our text. You see, Paul prays that the Ephesians would be strengthened. Or that Christ would be enthroned in their hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the only thing powerful enough to change glory thieves like you and I is the all-powerful God Himself. You see, when we come to God with the empty hands of faith and we tell Him, You do what I can't do. Do in me what I'm incapable of doing. Change me. What happens is through the power of His Holy Spirit, He strengthens us to dethrone ourselves and our idols and to submit to Christ taking the throne in our hearts, right? So think think of it this way. Think of it this way. When you buy a house that's a fixer-upper, right, and you move in and you see the leaky roof, you see all the trash on the ground, you see the the old-school panel um, paneling on the, on the walls, right? You, you see the 70s shag carpeting that has that funky smell and you're really afraid to ask what that is, right? right. When you see all that, which, what do you do? You, you begin this process of remodeling the house, right? You remodel it to meet your needs and eventually it becomes a reflection of who you are. And in the same way when Christ is made at home in our hearts and he's enthroned through the power of the Holy Spirit, What he does is he begins to do a spiritual renovation in us in order to become a suitable dwelling place for him, and eventually we will reflect his character. See, the church glorifies God by being filled with people who are being spiritually renovated every single day by the king of their heart, Jesus. That's why we pray for strength for our church. That's why we specifically pray for strength in Redeemer Border. So let's just take a moment though, take a step back, and ask about the practical implications of this for us. What does this mean for us today? I got a question for you guys. Here's the question. What would it look like for Christ to make himself at home in your heart? What would it look like for Christ to rule and spiritually renovate your heart every single day? Well, I know there's probably like a million answers you could give to that, but I think the most simplest way we can answer the question is by taking following Paul's lead and just embrace a regular prayer rhythms in our everyday life. See, prayer is the language of dependence, right? Prayer is the best way we say, Christ, you deserve the throne, not me. Prayer does that. But this is something we just don't pray as individuals. As individuals, we actually pray this corporately as a church together for the church, right? So for example, you can gather with your GC or as you come together today, you could get together with people and you could pray this. You could say, Lord, your word says that, that you are a God of all power and that your son Jesus has conquered this world through the cross. Please make that powerful truth visible in Redeemer. Make it all about Jesus in this church. Help us see the ways we want to take the throne and help us understand why it's infinitely better that Christ has the throne of our hearts. Please let Redeemer and the global church glorify you by being filled with people who look more and more like your son every single day. You see, the scriptures show us that one of the best things a young church plant can be known for is prayer. One of the best things Redeemer Borger could be known for is being a church that prays every single day that God, that Christ would take the throne of their hearts and would spiritually renovate them. I encourage you, let, let that be a goal for you personally and as a goal for a church. Embrace prayer, embrace asking for strength, for Christ to rule over your heart. Well, really, the text don't stop there. It keeps going and it actually shows us another request to pray for the church See, let's read on. See, the second thing we pray for our church, for Redeemer Borger, is for love. And we see that in the second half of verse 17 all the way to the first half of verse 19. Let's reread those real quick. Starting at the second half of verse 17, it says, That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ Jesus, of Christ, that suppresses all knowledge. you see, as we read through this second part of the, of the text, what I find so interesting is that Paul does not ask that the Ephesians would love Jesus more. I mean, in other books or epistles of the New Testament, he asked for that, but he doesn't ask for that here. Instead, if you look really closely, he asks that the ephesians would be rooted and grounded in love. Uh, Basically, he asked that their lives would be defined by love, that the love would be the determining factor that influences everything they say, they do, and they think. If you want to go with the rooted analogy, think of it this way. If our lives are like trees, then the prayer for us is that we would be rooted and grounded in the soil of love. And that love would be the thing that nurtures our lives and influences the way we grow. You know, once again, Paul is basically praying that that amazing truth about Christ's infinite love for undeserving sinners, you know, the thing you read back in chapter 2, he's praying that that amazing truth would be seen in the lives of Ephesians by their lives being radically recalibrated and restructured according to love. And even as you read on in the text, you see that the text gives us an example of what this idea looks like in everyday life. A life that is rooted and grounded in love is a life that grasps or comprehends Christ's love for them. His infinite love for them. Now, disclaimer, because Christ's love is infinite, our finite human minds are really incapable of fully comprehending what that's like. But what what I think the text is really referring to more of is a reflection upon or even really an infatuation with the uniqueness and the awesomeness of Christ's love for us. It's really a life that reflects upon the differences between human love and Christ's love. And if we're honest, we, we really don't do that enough, right? So let's just take a moment right now and practice this. Let's just reflect upon and think about the differences between human love and Christ's love. Let's start with human love. Human love, you can define it like this, You you could say this, human love is this. It says, I will seek your greatest good or I will love you if you meet all my needs, if you meet all my standards, if you never fail me, if you never raise your voice towards me, if you always make me happy, if you're always there for me and you always put me first. But if you don't meet all my needs, meet all my standards, uh, you're, if you do raise your voice at me, if you do fail me, if you're anything less than perfect, I will not love you. Basically, that's human love, right? You sum it all up. That's what human love says. That's how human, human love thinks. But now let's just look at our text and see how the text describes Christ's love for us. Christ's love is so wide, it's breadth, it's so wide that it encompasses the whole world. It doesn't discriminate. It's for men and women of every tribe, nation, tongue. His love is so long, it lasts forever. No matter how jacked up or messed up we are, we can't wear out Christ's love for us. His love is so high that it grabs people like you and I, jacked up, messed up sinners who are undeserving, who are on our way to hell. It grabs us, it makes us right with God, and it carries us to heaven. And it's so, this is my favorite, it's so deep that it reaches into the depths of our brokenness, no matter how ugly or painful that is. That's Christ's love for you and I. Man, man, just, just let that sink in for a moment. It's amazing. But before we move on, I want to point out one last thing. You know, as the the text talks about reflecting upon the differences of Christ's love, really reflecting on His love, it says something interesting. It says that we should do this reflection with all the saints, right? See, what this is meant to say to us is that this practice of reflection is not just meant to be individual. It's meant to be a corporate thing, right? We are meant to gather together to to reflect on, to talk about, to to remind each other, to encourage each other, and to practice on each other the love of Christ. See, God is glorified when his church is filled with people who are rooted and grounded in love. When his church is filled with people who cannot just get past the fact that Christ would love a broken and jacked up person like myself. That's why we pray for love, for redeeming order. Once again, I just got a question for you guys, right? Here's the question. How is God calling you all corporately to reflect on the incomprehensible love of Jesus? How is God calling you as a church to reflect on Christ's love for you? You know, you, you could, once again, you can answer that a million different ways. But I really do think the simplest way you can answer this question is just to commit to community. I'll reword it like this. Basically, the answer to the question is commit to a gospel community. Gospel communities are something we do not just because it's very churchy. This right? is what church people do. No, it's one of the main means by which we gather together we reflect upon, we encourage each other with, we remind each other with, we practice on each other the gospel of Jesus. The message of Christ's infinite love for undeserving people like you and I. You know, I, I, I say this from personal experience. I have felt the blessing of this. Um, a couple weeks ago, my wife tested positive for COVID. And so we were on lockdown for two weeks. And I'll be honest with you, I, I was really scared because I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know what was going to come. But man, we felt, we saw the manifestation of Christ's love in so many different ways through our own gospel community. Through the the calls, the texts, the soup, the cookies, all of it. We saw Christ's love for us. We were reminded of Christ's love for his people. And that was a blessing. We saw the manifestation. We saw the glory of God in those moments. Redeemer, I I really encourage you. Pray for love for Redeemer Borg. Pray that this church is filled with people who are rooted and grounded in love. With people who just can't get past that God would send his son into the world to live the life we could never live. To die the death we deserve. To resurrect for undeserving people like you and I. I pray that's the case for you guys. Well, we look, we finish up this prayer in the very last phrase of verse 19 and we see the last thing we should be praying for our church. The last thing we should be praying for our church is for fullness. And we see that in the very last phrase of verse 19. This is what it says really quickly. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. But man, there's so much jam-packed into that small little phrase that I think we need an illustration or an example to help us get our minds around it. So when you read this phrase, imagine going to the beach, right? And you see the ocean. It's, it's, it's beauty, you know, it's power as it, you know, the waves hit against the rock, you know, how it smells, how awesome it looks, how vast it is. It's, it's, it's fullness, right? And then imagine you took a water bottle And you stuck that water bottle into the ocean water and you let the ocean water fill up the water bottle. Now, you didn't put the whole ocean into that water bottle, right? But that water bottle is filled with the fullness, the beauty, and the power of the ocean. In the same way, when we are united to Christ, when he saves us, we are filled with the fullness of God, with his love and his power. And the text really talks about it not just being a one-time thing but a continuous thing. See, as we pray that we would be submitted to Jesus, as we we reflect on the incomprehensible love of Christ, we're being continuously filled more and more with the fullness of God, with His power and His love. And as we are continually filled with His power and love, we become reflections of that power and love. We basically become reflections of That amazing truth in theology you guys have been reading about for the past two chapters. I love what uh, theologian D.A. Carson says. He basically says that we become all that we're meant to be, all that God desires us to be, basically. See, God doesn't just wish that we'd be raised from death into new life. He also wants us to be reflections of that power and love in Christ Jesus that raised us from the dead. Right? And here's what's so encouraging about that, really. See, as we become reflections of Christ's love and power, what we naturally end up doing is that that's, that fullness overflows and we naturally begin to sacrificially love our city. We sacrificially love our church community and we boldly proclaim the gospel. We live out that amazing truth and theology. We live out the gospel. We don't just speak the gospel, we do it in word and deed. And really our hope should be that when people, that we're so filled with the fullness of God, that we're so filled with Jesus, that when people poke us, that we should bleed out God's love and power in Christ Jesus. That we should bleed out the gospel. You know, I think about it. Uh, My pastor in Philly told us a story one time where he he was pastoring in New York and there was an older lady who was in their congregation and due to health and other things in age um, her her mental capacities were, were kind of going and so in the middle of service for years she would just randomly yell out she, she'd be like praise Jesus you know she'd be like praise the Lord and I'd be like what like what what's going on you know like and, and for a while you know the pastor told us he said he said it went from being funny and cute to being kind of annoying but then it went to being amazing because here's the truth as we get older as our, through health or whatever, as our mental capacities begin to go, the filter leaves, right? You don't hide anything anymore. And people get to really see what's on the inside of you. And so this older lady was so filled with Jesus. She was filled with the fullness of God that when the filter left, all that came out was Jesus. She was being a reflection of the gospel even when her body and her mind were failing her. That's awesome. That glorifies God. What glorifies God is being a church filled with people who are continuously being filled with the fullness of God. That they're being reflections of the gospel. That when you poke them, they bleed Jesus. That when the mental facilities go, capacities go, all that is seen is Jesus. That's why we pray for fullness. For redeemer Border. that's how we pray that for our church one last question for you guys here's a question how is God calling you to be a reflection of his love and power how is God calling you to reflect this amazing theology the, the gospel that you've been learning about how is he calling you to reflect what you've just heard I'll say it again. You can answer this question a hundred million ways, right? But I just want to take a moment to offer a possible answer, and also just to encourage you all. See, I think the best way for you all to, to to answer the question, to to be a reflection of God's love and power, of His fullness, of of the gospel, is to just keep doing what you're doing. Think about it. You guys came and planted a church in Borger, Texas a place that typically gets overlooked. You, you did this not because you were bored or you didn't have anything to do, but you made the sacrifice because you knew that this city needed the gospel. You knew that people needed the gospel. And, and I know it's hard. And it hasn't been easy, and it's going to still be hard in the future, but I really want to encourage you. As you guys continue to gather, and hear the word preach, sing, disciple those young kids over there, Pray for each other, meet in your GCs, love this city. You are being a reflection of the power of God and his love in Christ Jesus to raise dead people from back to life. You are being a reflection of that to this city. And I know it's hard, but but don't be discouraged. I I say this, not because I think you know perfect or, or anything like that, but I'm saying this because I praise God that he is showing his glory in Borger, Texas. And one of the ways he's doing it is through Redeemer Borger. As you continue on, it's gonna get hard. It it will be hard, I will say that, it's gonna be hard. But please know that you are being a reflection of the eternal, amazing God who has entered into the world through his son Jesus and lived the life we could never live, died the death we deserve, and resurrected for undeserving people. You are being a reflection of that to this city and to this county. You are saturating this area with the glory of God. Don't be discouraged. So to end, uh, I just want to point you back to the very last verse. Verse 20. Verse 20 says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us. When you read that, What's so encouraging is that really God has done more than we could ever think or ask, right? He not only has raised um, spiritually dead corpses back to life, uh, not only has he created this new supernatural family called the church, but he's also commissioned this newly alive family to be ambassadors for his glory. And this family is sustained, it's kept going, not because of us, but because the eternal, powerful God who can do more than we could ever think is working in us Man, that's awesome so i, I want to encourage you you know if you're here today or you're listening to this later on and, and you're just checking this out and you don't consider yourself christian not religious maybe you came you want to see why we do collective karaoke every sunday um i want to talk to you real quick my my encouragement to you is please repent and put your faith in christ jesus Admit the ways you've rejected Jesus and trust that he's the only reason why you can be made right before God. Enter into this cosmically important family that's doing cosmically important things for the eternal benefit of this city and county. It's my encouragement to you. But you know, if you've already put your faith in Jesus, you're serving the Lord, I want to encourage you too. As you pray for your church, as you pray for the people in your church, As you carry on this calling to do cosmically important things, to show the glory of the Lord to this area, please be encouraged. The God that saves you doesn't leave you hanging. You're not just saved. His grace doesn't just save you, it sustains you. And as you're doing this for God, as you're serving, as you're gathering, as you're doing these things, please know that he won't ever leave you or forsake you, especially when it gets hard. Let's pray.